stands. They are sitting, uh, they're in Jerusalem, they're doing what they wish to bring about repentance. They desire for the Lord to be honored. Uh, they, whatever, whatever kind of judgments they speak, these judgments are going to be clear, uh, and they're going to happen as they say they're going to happen, and then they kill them. Say, very, very similar, isn't it? it? How men react to the authority of God if they are rebellious of heart. And so they just kill them, and they leave their bodies in the street. And verse 9 says, uh, those, back at Revelation chapter 11, verse 9 says, it's just kind of a parallel. I just, as I was reading that uh, earlier this week, I just thought, you know, the, the witnesses are killed there. How many prophets died there? Hezekiah was killed there. There are so many records of prophets killed. They wouldn't listen to them. Uh, they murdered them uh, and despised them and mocked them and threw them in pits and just locked them up and did all these things. God's, it said God sent them to them to have compassion, but many of the kings said, go away, O troubler of Israel, right? That's what Ahab said, right? Get away from me, O troubler of Israel. And what, did, uh, what did Elijah say? You're the one who troubles Israel, right? by your sin. And so they just would not submit. They wouldn't uh, listen to what they say. They won't listen to these two witnesses either. And so they're killed. Verse 9, chapter 11, Revelation. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at all uh, at their dead bodies for three and a half days. So all over the world. Okay. You can just kind of get an idea. It's a very broad scope. People from uh, all peoples and tribes and tongues and nations. So you get a very broad scope. Uh, will look at their bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in the tomb. Now, beloved, realize that at the turn of the last century, uh, back in the 1900s, that wasn't possible, okay? People from all over the world wouldn't be able to watch three people lie dead in Jerusalem, okay? But here it says people all over the world will be able to watch. And you know how that will work, don't you? Because you can go watch something right now on your iPhone, can't you? At any time you want. You can go look at the webcam. And uh, we are going to be going on vacation in a couple of weeks. And we looked at the webcam at the beach the other day. And that was kind of cool just to kind of see what the weather was. But we can do that, can't we? We're, we've got a tech, technology now that allows us to do that. Scripture says that people from all over the world will be looking at these dead bodies laying in the street. Now, this is the modern age, okay? We, we don't leave dead bodies laying in the street, okay? But here they will. And they're going to leave their bodies in the street. And verse 10 says this. You can f go to the next slide there, William. Leave the bodies in the street. All right? Now, we don't do that, but they will. Verse 10 says, And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another, because the, th these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. All the inhabitants of the world are going to see their dead bodies in Jerusalem for three and a half days, and they're going to gloat, and they're going to celebrate. And they don't allow the bodies to be buried or be put in a grave, and they rejoice, and they make merry, and they send presents. Again, it's, you know, happy dead witnesses day, here's your gift, okay? That's kind of the idea. They're happy they're gone, and they're thrilled that these guys are dead. And uh, you can just imagine some network correspondent, you know, live from the scene. Well, it's been three and a half days that these guys were killed. We're still in shock at the relief that we're free of these guys, you know. Uh, no more plagues, no more death. The earth is surely a better place, you know. Uh, log onto our website, tell us why you're happy they're gone, that kind of thing, all right? Just uh, in general, people are rejoicing that they're gone from the earth, no longer able to speak, no longer able to bring torment to the earth for the Lord's own glory and to bring people to uh, his own name. But verse 11 says, but after three and a half days, here it is, the breath of life from God came into them and they stood on their feet. Now, wouldn't you like to be in on the instant replay on that one? Uh, you know, you can watch that over and over again. Here's these three guys. And you know, in a hot place, uh, per, per, perhaps if it is during that time of a season, 
in Jerusalem. That would not be a pretty picture, three and a half days of a body laying in the street. But the Lord breathed the breath of life into them, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. Is that an understatement or what? So here they go. They, uh, these guys get the breath of life breathed back unto, into them. And I love this next part. Verse 12, listen to what happens, and the whole world is going to hear this. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, what's he say? What's it say? Come up here. Isn't that great? I don't know. That just does me a lot of good to hear, to hear that and that the world will hear that and they will respond. They will stand up on their feet with the breath of life back in their bodies after they've been slain and they will go up. And they went up into heaven in the cloud and their enemies, here it is. So they're watching them dead in the street and now their enemies are watching them go up to heaven. That's just an, I just love that passage. And like I told you last week, I, I'm, I look forward to those days, don't you? Aren't you tired of the word of the Lord being despised and just his, his law turned away from? Aren't you tired of all the, all the destruction and sorrow really that brings on the earth? And so we, we rejoice at those words. Uh, it, brings, it brings gladness to our hearts that the Lord uh, is able to conquer in that way and do what he wants and bring the people up. And he does that. And some, you know, may wonder, you know, why didn't they preach after that? I mean, wouldn't that have been awesome? You know, wouldn't that be cool? You know, they could, wouldn't they have been more effective? Well, I was kind of thinking about that. Perhaps that was a question in your mind. Remember Jesus, after he was crucified, he didn't, he didn't have a, much of a public ministry after that, did he? He ministered to his disciples for the most part, right? For 50 days, he was around them. Uh, now, over 500 witnesses saw him, but those were his followers. He was not making himself public anymore, and he didn't uh, go back to those who had crucified him. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 24, remember as uh, Lazarus and the rich man's story is relayed to us, where we get many of the things we understand about the nature of hell and the nature of heaven in general. We know that, uh, uh, of course, Lazarus was the poor man, and uh, of course he uh, got to be, uh, go, go to heaven. He had a relationship with the Lord, and the rich man did not. And in a conversation here, which illustrates for us some of the nature of heaven and of hell, uh, he asks for a drop of water. Of course, there's a great gulf fixed and no one's allowed to cross. And then later he says, well, how about if you would send uh, someone over? Send, uh, let Lazarus come back from the grave and let him go to my brother's house and teach them because they'll listen. And what does Abraham say? Um, if they wouldn't listen, to, let, let him have Moses and the prophets. And he said, well, they'll listen if somebody comes back from the grave. And uh, he's told an affirmative no, right? He says, no, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone comes back from the grave. And so uh, these guys have been murdered. Uh, they go up into heaven. They don't say anything else because uh, that what they've needed to say, they've said, and the Lord has made a statement, and they're not allowed to speak after that. So these guys don't say anything. They go up in the clouds, similar to how Jesus ascended. And it, the great part is that those who hated them watch them go up and hate it. And I bet there will be many uh, who have come to Christ during that time, just kind of some speculation. 144,000 have been doing their work. These two guys have been doing their work, and many come to faith, and they're going to see them rise, and they're going to see them go up to heaven, and they're going to love it, right? So they're gonna, some are going to hate it, some are going to love it, but it's pretty sweet that uh, they get to do it. It gives God another opportunity to be glorified. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. You can go ahead and switch that slide, uh, William, if you would. And in that hour... There was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory uh, to the God of heaven. On to the next one, Will. Gave glory to the God of heaven. 
So a severe earthquake causing the death, of, uh, causing a tenth of the city to collapse. As soon as these guys go up into the sky, there's a very severe earthquake. A tenth of Jerusalem collapses. 7,000 people killed by that earthquake in one time. And the survivors are terrified and they gave glory to the God of heaven. There it is again. One of the desires of God, even during the tribulation and the trouble on the earth, is God wishes people to acknowledge him. He's always desired people to acknowledge him as, his, as the creator, the rightful one to receive worship. Uh, God wishes uh, men to give him glory. He is worthy of all glory and honor. He wishes all men to be saved, which is the ultimate way that he is honored and glorified, right? We saw that in the book of Romans. He, he wants all men to seek his face. He's not vindictive. Uh, he is a God who does not change. Uh, we must change ourselves in order to understand him and uh, seek him while he still woos men. But uh, in this point here, he's no longer wooing men. And as those two witnesses go up, this uh, severe earthquake comes and 7,000 are killed and people are terrified. So these two witnesses go up and we have sheer terror. And uh, these men were responsible uh, for the, uh, with, along with 144,000 witnesses to show God and who he really is. And God will never be without a witness, will he? he? Even during this tribulation time, he desires that men seek him and desires for men to submit to him. Now look at four, verse 14. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And now we had the seals, and we are working through the trumpets, coming up to the last one, and then we're going to come to the bowls. And that third woe is coming quickly. And after that little interlude, we come back to this seventh trumpet. All right, you can go to the next one, William. We had uh, judgment on plant life. As we saw that first trumpet, judgment on plant life, we saw hail, fire mixed with blood, a third of the trees, a third of the creatures in the sea die, a third of all the ships were destroyed. Uh, after that, on the judgment on the sea, so we had judgment on plant life, so a third of trees, a third of plant life, all the grass, then the sea judgment, verse 8 of chapter 8, and then the judgment on flowing water, verse 10 of chapter 8, uh, likely a comet. Uh, a third of the drinking water was made bitter, many die because of that. Judgment on the heavens, we saw, chapter 8, verse 12. Uh, One-third of the light is of the sun, the moon and stars has gone temporarily. We saw the judgment of locusts from the pit, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Bound demons we saw loosed. They have power like scorpions to harm men for five months. But those who know Christ we saw, is like, they're likely going to be protected. Uh, this uh, judgment of this demon uh, cavalry, verse, chapter 9, verse 13, 200 million strong. Uh, and these guys are going to go out and they're going to kill by fire, smoke, and sulfur, which comes out of their mouth. And scripture told us they do harm with their tails like serpent's heads with a short body, something out of a nightmare. And those are not the greatest woes, see. The great and awful day of the Lord still remains ahead. And so all these things were meant to get men's attention, of course, to bring judgment on the world. And that's what they have done. And we get to the seventh trumpet. You can write this down. The seventh trumpet is a kingdom view. Go back there one. Go back one, Will. Kingdom view. And when it blows, it is the beginning of the finale. Okay, and it's a kingdom view, and you can see that in just a minute. We'll look at that. But um, it's a wonderful verse, verse 15. It said what we said at the beginning, a recurring theme um, in, that we find in the book of Revelation. Now you can forward that if you would. Uh, the book of Revelation really is about turning over the title of the earth to its rightful owner, right? That's what we said right at the beginning. That really is the essence of the book of Revelation. Who owns the earth? Well, Christ does. He's the one who is supposed to rule. But who's been ruling temporarily and usurping authority? That's been Satan, right? He's the prince of the power of the air. He's had authority here temporarily. Only uh, those, uh, that authority the Lord has given him, but he's had it nonetheless for a temporary time. 
But Revelation is about the turning it back over to its rightful owner. And so that is what we're going to see here. That is the theme of these next couple of verses. Look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Verse 16, And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God, that represents the church, remember? Those twenty-four elders sit on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. So they're grateful, and they're worshiping the Lord. They see the end is very near. And then verse 18, and the nations were enraged. Now remember, in chapter 6, verse 15, they were were terrified, right? Just a minute ago, uh, as Jerusalem, um, much of Jerusalem collapses and 7,000 people are killed, they're terrified. But it doesn't take them long uh, to go to enraged, right? A defiant rage towards the Lord. They're terrified at the beginning. Uh, Sixth seal, particularly in chapter 6, verse 15, the sixth seal, stars are falling from the sky. The sky rolls up like a scroll. You have the moon turned to blood. All these things are happening. It says the nations are terrified. And they pray that the rocks and the mountains will fall on them to hide them from the face of the one to whom they have to give due. But here it says that they've moved from that, and that's not unusual, is it? People are afraid, and then they continue to defy the Lord, and then they just become enraged that the Lord continues to pour out wrath on them. It says, the nations were enraged, verse 18, and your, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, the elders, of course, speak of a future final judgment, as if it were already here, okay? So they kind of sum up. They said, look, you're beginning to reign. This is the beginning of the end. And so they just kind of sum up all the things that still remain in the future, okay? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, and we're getting right up to that point, and all things are coming to a close, and so they speak of nations raging and being judged, which we're going to see in chapter 16, and the dead will be judged, and the Old Testament saints will be judged and rewarded. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We're going to see all of that still in the future. And we're going to see these things as we proceed to the final chapters of Revelation. But they speak of them as if they were already accomplished. And I kind of like that, the way that was expressed, don't you? Because they said, listen, you're beginning to reign. They just kind of sum it up. These are, these are all the things that are going to happen. Even though we're kind of right in the middle of the tribulation period, this is what's still in store because they're that sure, Okay. It's, uh, it's that certain. They all are going to be accomplished. And so they sing that song to the Lord and say that you are worthy to be worshipped. Uh, we give you thanks, O Lord, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and begun to reign, and you will reign forever and ever. Just an awesome thought as the Lord speaks that to us. And as you work through that and you're doing that in your private uh, Bible study, what an awesome time. At that point, and I've encouraged you this way before, was you read your way through the Bible. Remember, it's not just trying to accomplish a certain amount of verses so you got your day's worth of Bible reading in, all right? Uh, you're working through that, and you want the Lord to work with his word in your heart. And so you get to stuff like that. That's a perfect opportunity for you to sit just for a moment and tell the Lord that very thing, because those are true words of praise to the Lord. And so that's how, the, that's how that's, I'm inspired to do that. I just kind of bow my head and said, you are worthy to reign, and you will reign forever and ever. And Lord, help me to arrange my life so that it looks like you will, all right? So that I'm kind of working my life through so that that's reflective of, of who I am. That you're going to reign, that you'll have authority, that your word is true. Every word of your word will come true. 
Let me live my life that way. As a pastor, of course, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, always, tell, always is constantly in my mind. Many of these passages I know by heart, having studied them many times. And I think, you know what? If I accomplish this and do a good job, I get to stand before the great shepherd. He's going to give me a crown. See? Those are the things that are true. And when you read these things, and you read through the scriptures as well, and you see the reward that comes from being faithful, and you see the reward that comes from putting to death the deeds of the flesh, and you see all these types of things, realize those are real future issues. If there's going to be a beam of judgment, all the works of your life laid out before you, you won't be judged for your sin, it was judged on the cross, but you will, all of your life examined. And that's a real future engagement for us, see? And so we live that way, and we can say really with these elders who, of course, we see this still in the future, they're saying this is all accomplished as if it was already here. But we know in the chronology of the word that still sets out there another three and a half years, that there's going to be some more things that are going to occur. But they're just as sure of happening as if they've already occurred. And that's the sense you can get and how you can kind of translate that into your own life. Now, verse 19, And the temple of God which is in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And so we see that John sees this, and we've studied the temple on earth, and we know from Hebrews 11 that it is a copy of the true place of worship which is in heaven. So John has seen the throne in chapter 4, verse 5. John has seen the altar in chapter 6, verse 9. And here he sees the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. And we can be reminded by this view that a couple of things. Number one, uh, God doesn't change. He still has a covenant with men. And if they come to him in repentance, the Holy of Holies is always open to them, isn't it? Because that's how the Lord is. Because the Holy of Holies became open through Christ's work on the cross and so a marvelous thing, you see this in your notes, God doesn't change. He still has a covenant with men. If they come to him in repentance, still uh, the Holy of Holies is open to them. And so marvelous thoughts about that as you kind of think about the imagery there and what John gets to see and how that's open to him to look. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Uh, because God's judgment is perfect and holy just like he is. It says that they proceed out of the Holy of Holies. So just get an idea that all of God's judgments are absolutely perfect, just like he is, right? And so if these things are coming out of the Holy of Holies, they're absolutely perfect and true, just like he is. And they're appropriate to the crime, and they fit exactly what the Lord wants them to do. They accomplish what the Lord wants them to do and fit uh, the infractions that they are meant to address. And so uh, they come straight from the Holy of Holies because they are perfect and holy just like he is. His judgments are in line with his own nature. Okay? So things are changing here. We're out of time. And they're never going to be the same again. But that gets you excited, I suppose. Right? I mean, it does me. That things at this point, at this juncture in history, uh, are changing and never to return. And that's an awesome thought. Now, next time we're going to meet together, it'll be a couple of weeks. But many of you have sent me uh, question after question on this first ten chapters of the book of Revelation. So what I'd like to do is, um, and you've emailed me a bunch of them. I'm going to cover those, okay? Because I figure if one of you sent them, maybe somebody else has that same question. I'm going to cover those questions, and I'll also take more if you'd like to, uh, because we're kind of at the midway way through the tribulation period. And if you've got some questions about what we've been talking about, would you please email those to me? Uh, that'll allow me in the time that we're traveling over the next couple of weeks to get those down. But email those questions to me if you would, and uh, we will take as much time as we need, and even more than one evening, to cover them. I've got quite a few already, but we'll add more to them if you desire. And it's always a delight for me to attempt to answer questions that you have. And uh, so give me a heads up and, and send them by email. And that email address is in the bulletin. Okay. After that, we're going to move on to chapter 12 and we're going to talk about signs. There's a sign right away 
at the beginning of chapter 12. Remember, that is a symbol that points to something else, right? And so we're, with a little bit of uh, moving through the scriptures, we'll figure out exactly what it's pointing to, so we don't have any question about who that is that it's, it's mentioning. And so we'll do a little cross-referencing and let the Bible explain the Bible and find out uh, more about what's still to come as we look at chapter 12 and verse 1. All right? Let's uh, close up tonight with a word of prayer and be dismissed, as it is always awesome to be together with you and to study the word and to be enriched together. All right?